Okay, I'm ready. You guys ready? Cool. Let's rock and roll. Hey, I'm Andrew. This is the Bearded Friend Podcast, and thanks for joining me on this episode. In this week's episode, I speak to Dylan Torrible. We talk about his four-month internship in Australia, the time that he spent working on the Daily Talk Show, and also the book he's decided to write. So welcome to another episode of the Bearded Fen podcast. My guest this week is Dylan Torival, commonly known as 3D Dill. He's uh, spent the last four months in Australia working as an intern on the Daily Talk Show. The Daily Talk Show is probably one of my favorite podcasts to um, listen to at the moment and I highly recommend that you check it out. All the details will be in the show notes. So I chatted to Dylan about his time in Australia how he landed up there and while he's been there he's decided to write a book about his experience and we touched on that as well so here is this week's episode i hope you enjoy right right how's dylan doing oh i'm i'm doing amazing right now i'm a little tired not really jet lagged but (laughs) after your epic trip to sydney yeah stayed in sydney for like a total of 30 hours but it was was, okay it was amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. I see you um, hit the mini bar there and wrecked yeah. up a bit of a bull. <laughs> yeah, just ended up. Apparently, it was like two hundred and thirty bucks, which I had yeah. no idea because, like any any hotel I've ever stayed at, because growing up with two sisters and myself and then my parents, it was any any hotel we went to was kind of a standard family hotel because, like, having five people it was we could never afford to get like three or four rooms to house everybody so it was it was kind of the budget thing on on most ends so yeah having a whole hotel suite to myself with a full stocked mini bar and fridge was something i had never experienced before i was like oh i i should use this i didn't realize it cost money <laughs> yeah you got to make the most of it eh? <laughs> exactly i thought i'll make the most of it and then i made i i made the most of it that's for sure so I mean, like, so you, what? Just over two hundred uh, um, Australian dollars, basically. I mean, yeah. Is that a is that a lot of money there? Yeah, I mean, when, when, it was yeah. it was pretty excessive. Not gonna lie. Yeah. So, um, what all did you get up to while you were in Sydney? Oh, I I tried to do as much as I possibly could. You know, I mean, I I knew I was only going to be there for a day, a day and a half, really. So Trevor Long, who's the the bloke who flew me out, we um. We kind of went around, did most of the touristy sightseeing things on the first day, drove around the harbor, got to see the bridge, um, got to see the opera house, which was amazing. Got to take a bunch of really awesome, wicked photos. And then after that, Trev had to go back home because obviously he has a family of his own and kind of left, let me roam around the city, do my, do my own thing. And yeah, uh, I just, I just tried to go wherever, um, went down to the opera house at night and got a bunch of really nice nighttime shots, like long exposure photos and everything. Um, 
of the opera house, which is something I've always dreamed of capturing. So it was, it was great to, to get that walked around, went down by the rocks, which is like where before there was a Sydney Harbor bridge, that was where people used to go and get a ferry to and to and from across the Harbor. So I got to go check that out. Um, in the morning I got, uh, got an Uber out to Bondi beach and I'm, myself i'm not a big fan of the water i kind of have a fear of of swimming swimming in okay. places where i can't touch the bottom which i think is kind of fair. sure so basically like basically i would never go in in the water where you are just uh not not my safe zone but um yes so i, I got to bondi beach walked around for a bit and then was told you have to go check out the iceberg pool so i said all right i'll go check that out and this was like swimming was $8. I'm thinking $8. That's remarkably cheap. So I forked the guy over eight bucks, paid to get a locker, chucked my stuff in the locker. I brought a bathing suit because I knew regardless, I'll end up jumping in the water somewhere because never going to get this opportunity again, or if not for a very long time. So I jumped in and, oh, it was amazing. I had, um, had a good 20 minute swim in the iceberg pools. Um, it, it was phenomenal being able to swim, doing, doing lengths of the pool. And then the ocean is, was right there and waves were coming up and splashing me in the face. It was cold and that was awesome. Then I did the Bonita Bronte walk, walked along kind of along the coastline, took an Uber back into the city, got more photos of the opera house, got to do the, uh, the Sydney eye tower. And then, got lunch at a place called Bill and Tony's, which is like a, a schnitzel place in Sydney and phenomenal, phenomenal food. I was so stuffed. Like my, my, I don't think my stomach could have handled any more food, even if I wanted to. And <laughs> after that went, uh, saw the Sydney eye and then got an Uber out to the, the other side of the city and got to sit in on a radio show with Ben Fordham at a two GB. So, and then that was awesome. Finished up there and took a, an Uber back to the airport, got in at the airport, walked around the business lounge for a little bit, had a bite to eat, got on the plane and then came back. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty content with the amount of stuff that I was able to fit into a, a day and a half, basically. Yeah, sounds great, man. Eh? Oh, so sounds much great. Fun. So much fun. And I mean, you basically you've what what two weeks left in in Australia? Uh, yeah, before you back as home. Of, as of today, I have thirteen days left here. Thirteen days, yeah, surreal. Yeah. So how long how long were you? Um, is it four months that you were going to be in Australia, or was it uh, six months? I can't remember. Uh, four four months. So the initial four months. Four months yeah. yeah. With the internship, we have to do a minimum amount of hours. And okay. I've, I've finished my minimum amount of hours back in like the middle of July, but I'm like, there was nothing that was calling me back home. I was like, I, I, I want to stay because yeah, really, sure. I really like what Tommy and Josh and, and Mason are, are doing here. And I like even, even being a small part of it, it, it means a lot to me to be able to contribute to that. So I was like, I, I don't want to leave until I absolutely have to. Well, that's great. So, um, and I mean, like four months, uh, I can remember um, when you were just arriving there. Yeah. Obviously, because I've been, you know, following the, the daily talk show. It's like four months has gone so quickly. I mean, how's it felt for you? It's four months has felt like four days, to be honest. 
Like, yeah, I, I look back because I've been I'm doing been doing a lot of reflecting recently on my time here as it is coming to an end, and like all the stuff that I was doing in the first week feels like I was doing it yesterday. That's how fast time has flown by. And I look at the amount of stuff I've been able to do, the places I've been lucky enough to travel to while I've been here is phenomenal. Like I, ne- I never would have thought going into my third year of school, knowing I have an internship coming up, I never thought that I would end up recording a podcast every single day with these guys that I've looked up to and idolized and have acted almost as like digital mentors to me. I never thought that I'd end up photographing koalas in the middle of the Otways or walking next to a kangaroo at the Grampians and like totally surreal. So let's, let's, let's go back to the beginning. I mean, Mm -hmm. what are you studying at the moment? So I'm, I'm studying industrial product design, which for those who don't know or are confused about it, we are, I always get, so when I tell people that I'm in industrial design, they say, oh, do you, do you design factories and stuff? And now it's, it's, it's like the design of everything, basically, from the headphones on your head to the laptop you do your work on, to the car you drive, to the phone case, your phone, even, even your keychain, uh, your computer mouse, anything, almost everything that you interact with on a daily basis at some point has been interacted with by an industrial designer, whether that's for ergonomics, um, the, the physical aesthetic of it. So I've done done three years of that school now. So I'm going into my, my fourth and last year, which is my thesis year. And are you, um, you based in Toronto, right? Yeah. So I was, I was born in, in a town called Aurora, which is about 45 minutes North of Toronto. Um, but the, the school I go to, Humber College, is, is right at the top outskirts of the city. So it's, it's pretty central. It's only like a half hour, 45 minute bus ride to get downtown. But uh, I, I just say I'm from Toronto because it's, it's, it's a bit easier for those who aren't familiar with the area. So you, are you studying downtown Toronto? Basically, yeah. Or, you could, yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. It's more downtown West End, West End of the okay. city. Okay. So then... Um, I think you and I basically came across um, the Daily Talk Show the same way. I mean, yeah. we listened to Matt Diavello. Yeah. And that's uh, so. So, when did you start listening to the Daily Talk Show? Oh, I. That's an interesting question because I because I had heard them on Matt Diavello's podcast and I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is cool, but I didn't really think much. I didn't go back and listen to their yeah. podcast after that. It wasn't until a few. Three months later, I think, I was on my Christmas break from school. I was doing work at the kitchen table, just trying to get my life sorted out over the few weeks I had off. And their video with Matt Diavella came on autoplay on YouTube. I was just watching videos, listening to music as I was working. And it ended up playing through again. And I listened to it for the second time. And it's like the second time that you hear stuff, you always, you pick up on different things that you maybe missed the first time. And it basically felt like I had, I was listening to this thing for the very first time, and but I was okay. abso- I was absorbing so much of it. And they mentioned the Daily Talk Show, and I'm like, that's the most generic name you can think of. Like, what could this possibly be about? So that prompted me to go look at it. That must have been that was like the first week of December in 2018. Okay, yeah. And so I started listening to it a bit, and then they had Matt Diavella on the podcast for like a couple of days around Christmas. 
And that's what I think really stuck me to it. And I was like, oh, this, this is actually really cool. Got me hooked on it. And because I, I had originally listened for Diavella, that was who I was there for. But then I started going back for Tommy and Josh. I was like, oh, I really like listening to these guys. Like Tommy sounds like an absolute cowboy and Josh sounds like an absolute dork, which they, they are. <laughs> but it was, I just, I just became invested in their personalities and I liked hearing about what Josh's whole routine schedule was like. And I liked hearing Tommy talk about his son Bodie and then what he was doing on the weekends. And that, that really stuck me into it. So it, it, it was kind of a weird happenstance way of coming across it again was just by pure luck that their video was on autoplay on YouTube. I was like, Oh, that, that sounds kind of interesting. I'll check it out. And then check yeah. it out, check it out for real and actually paid attention to it. So I think the one that I saw with, um, with Matt and, and, and them was, um, I think it was the one where Matt was in Australia yeah. and they did uh, um, a podcast and they videoed it and they were outside. I don't know. They were, seemed to be at the, at the beach or at the coast or something like that. Yeah, that's right. And that was the first one. That was the first one that I actually watched or listened to yeah. back then. And it was a similar experience. So like I watched it and I was like, oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, left it for a while and then somehow just landed up back there again. Yeah. I think similar kind of thing, you know, um, you know, suggestion list on, on YouTube. And I, I watched, I started watching some of the episodes. I can't even tell you what the first episode was that I watched. Yeah. But I can, I can, I can remember, <laughs> I can remember Matt saying that, uh, Tommy and Josh were doing a daily episode of a podcast. And yeah. I was like, the, the, like that blew my mind. I was like, "What the hell do you talk about?" Exactly. Every day. How how, how I came across Matt originally was mm. probably about July last year. I decided, okay, I want to start my own podcast, mm. and I was like, some you know, googling you know how to start your own podcast and whatever, and that's how I came across Matt. Right. And then I started watching his stuff, and then I even you know subscribed to him on Patreon because I really like you know, his. His content is 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 um, top notch stuff. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. Um, so, but yeah. So going back to the daily talk show, when when he said that they were doing a daily podcast, like my my mind, I'm like, I'm only releasing one every two weeks because mm. that just works for me. Um, and I thought, yeah, the thought of doing one every day, uh, and obviously at that stage they're only doing five, yeah, in a week. Now they're doing seven. I mean, yeah. it blows my oh, mind. It's, it's and and then when I started listening to them, I'm thinking, okay, so what are they going to talk about today? And every day there's just new stuff that keeps on coming out. I mean, it's yeah. just, I think, I think they're doing an amazing job. They, they really are. And like com- coming into it and being a part of the daily talk show, especially since I started out as a listener and as a fan, it's, it's been yeah. really, it's been an amazing learning experience to see like, what does go into it it's like there's no there's no real brief of like oh what are we going to talk about today it's 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 drawing on real life and kind of recognizing those things that are like oh yeah well this happened but but why did that happen why why does why does this event happening make me want to talk about it yeah even even the simple mundane stuff like ordering a coffee at a cafe 
there is a story there is a story there if you look for it and that's what i've learned a lot from tommy and josh is this the stories are there in your life all the time you just you just have to actively go and look for it and be be seeking it and sometimes they they just pop up out of nowhere like the whole story about my thumb getting cut open that yeah. was something that was something that we can we never predicted would happen in my time here but we're like okay but there there is a story here we can do something with this and yeah. also you still get lots of mileage out of it in in later shows i mean it mm-hmm. it comes up you know and you laugh about it now yeah not at the time but <laughs> <laughs> laugh about it uh so yeah so um uh, yeah, I think it's pretty cool because, uh, you know, I see podcasts like basically they fall into two sort of um, genres. One is like very like specific about a p- particular subject. Yeah. Um, you know, it might be business related or, you know, um, you know, whatever the, yeah. you know, the um, subject is. Yeah. But, but then you get almost like what, what I would call a lifestyle um, sort of podcast, which is the daily talk show. Oh, and. Know. And I think I think one's got to look at the reason why one listens to podcasts. One is you want to learn something, so you'll be listening to those more technical ones or those ones that are um, you know specific subject. Mm-hmm. And then there there are the other ones where you just want to just enjoy, have a good laugh, yeah, you know that kind of thing. And what I found is I like I mean I like both. There was a podcast that I was listening to, which is called Coffee House Blunders. It's two guys in the US. One guy works for Microsoft. The other guy works for Chess.com. Oh yeah. And they would do a they would do a weekly podcast, and basically it's just they 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 friends that live in different parts of the US, and they decided to do a podcast just so that they could, you know, you know stay in contact with one another yeah. and then they just created a podcast of it um unfortunately they've stopped that now they're not doing it anymore but what i enjoyed about that podcast was it was like listening to your mates or yeah. grabbing a coffee with your mates mm-hmm. which uh, is very much like the daily talk show for me now because that's when that other podcast disappeared i was like oh shit but like what podcast do i listen to now mm-hmm. that's not too heavy because some of these like i'm also um i also listen to sam harris Right. I know Tommy's spoken about Sam Harris a couple of yeah. times. Um, I mean, his stuff is seriously heavy. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've sometimes I've got to stop and go back and re-listen to something that he said because he said something and my mind's gone off on a tangent, and then I miss the next couple of points and I've got to go back again. That's quite. It's quite. Um, it's heavy work. It's, actually, it's, it's emotional. Listening to a podcast like that. Yeah, because you, yeah. you have to yeah, be paying yeah. attention all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And then like a show like the daily talk show is like, you don't really have to concentrate, but I mean, it's, Mm. it's just like almost like, um, like recreation in a way. Yeah. That's, that's what I think attracted me to it in the beginning as well. It was like, it it sounds like I'm just having a, a conversation at the pub with my friends or we're at a, we're at a cafe in the morning and we're all just catching up and just like kind of shooting the shit and seeing what's going on. And I I didn't have to force myself to pay attention to it. Like even if Josh goes off on a tangent or if Tommy goes off on a tangent or if my mind goes off on a tangent when I'm listening, it's okay. Like it's, it's, it's not like I'm missing the key part of this 12 step process to get somewhere. It's, it's just a regular conversation. So um, we'll talk a little bit more about the daily talk show just now, but um, let's go back to how you landed up 
in Australia. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> we always talk about uh, episode 14, which yeah. I have to admit, I only really got to listen to the other day because um, I'm busy working my way through the back catalog in inverted yeah. commas. So I started at episode one a little while ago. I was going backwards okay. and um, in the videos, I was going backwards in the videos and, you know, watching them. But then I decided, well, I need to listen to episode 14. So yeah. I went back to number one. So um, so I've, I got to episode 14 the other day. Oh, yeah. So just explain to us how, 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 how that came about. How episode fourteen came about? Well, or, no, 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 we'll, no, no. We know. Uh, well, I'll just refer <laughs> everyone to go and listen to episode fourteen, yeah. and they'll understand how the, about how you landed up in Australia. Oh, how how I landed in Australia? It's it still blows my mind to think about. Like, I grew up in a relatively like middle class home. I had loving parents, two sisters, and my my parents were always really supportive of what I did, what, whatever I chose to pursue. Um, and at 15, 16, I kind of realized art, art and design was something I could, I could do for a living. So that's what put me on to doing the industrial design program in the first place. But going through that school and being able to do like industry projects, working with actual companies that are selling products and doing basically design competitions for them. I started to get this thing of like, I, I, I don't know if I want to be involved with or work at a big corporate design firm where I come in as basically an employee number and then spend a couple of months doing work that no one really sees and no one, uh, no one acknowledges. Like, and it's not to say that I'm doing it for the affirmation of it, but it's like, I, I want to be able to do something that gets noticed and has an impact on people. So when I, when I came across the daily talk show and the, the whole first notion of it was, I was just trying to give them advice on how they could make this project a reality with the, uh, the squeegee key rings. I just said, yeah, this, like, this is 3d printing, maybe a little bit of what's involved costing. If, and if you wanted to do like the injection molding route, it is a lot more expensive and you'll probably have to invest a great amount of money if you want that to happen, but 3d printing is a great, relatively cheap alternative for it. And it was at that point, it was just me giving advice to them because I was like, I like these guys. I want to give them a hand and Hey, if they're able to do it, then good for them. And then fast forward two weeks, I was at a, a woodworking fair with my parents and came across a, a booth that was selling 3d printers. And I thought, Oh, that's, that's an interesting idea. But at this point, the daily talk show and 3D printing squeegees wasn't even on my mind. I was just debating on whether or not to put the $1,000 purchase on my credit card or my parents' credit card. Like that, that was the only <laughs> thing I was, I was debating at that point and whether or not I should. Because like when you're 20 and going through school, a thousand bucks is a lot of money. And to part with it so spontaneously really like scared the crap out of me. But I did it. I purchased the 3D printer, brought it home. And about two days later, I realized I was listening to the Daily Talk Show and they were talking about the squeegees. And I had this kind of euphoric moment of, I currently own a 3D printer and these guys want something 3D printed. And they're in Australia and I'm in Canada. But I can make that work. I can make that happen. So 
that's that's when I emailed them again and I sent I sent Josh and Tommy and Mason the email saying, Hey guys, just checking in again. Like we we had chatted a little bit through email. But I said, like, I I bought a 3D printer. So if you guys are still serious about doing this thing, like we I'll I'll do what I can to make it happen. And this is when I'm in school too, right? So I've got projects to do, I've got classes to to attend and essays to write and all that fun stuff. But after, like what, once we had gotten in contact there, it, it started to become a bit more serious. I was like, okay, this, this is something that even if I don't go to Australia, this is something that I can say that I did and maybe put on like on a CV or on a resume or maybe even have on my own personal website saying, yeah, like I 3D printed these things for these guys halfway around the world. Like that's kind of cool in itself. But I was getting it to a point in my internship search where no one was replying to my emails. I had sent out all these resumes and CVs and no one had gotten back to me. And I was getting, I was getting really discouraged of trying, trying to find a job basically. And no one's even acknowledging, no one's even saying no, no, thank you. It was, it wasn't even a no, it was just silence. And I think that can get really discouraging for people trying to find their first real job in the industry. Right. It's, it's like, it's better to hear a no than nothing at all. So, and then, then my roommate, Zach, that I live with at school, he said, well, what, what if you emailed them, emailed Tommy and Josh and asked to do your internship with them? Because you're already going through the effort of 3d printing these squeegees for them. You might as well pitch the question. And I was a little unsure of that because I didn't want to, I didn't want to overstep any boundaries or kind of feel like I was pushing them in a way. So I kind of just, I thought about it for a little bit. Then I figured, you know what? I, I'm in this situation now because I sent an email. Like I'm already in contact with them because I sent like three or four emails. And it's in the grand scheme of things, it's, it seems pretty harmless. So I said, you know what? Like, fuck it. I, I'll send an email. I'll pitch the question sent the email and I figured I'll send it to their big media company email to maybe it will be a bit more professional. And yeah. I, I didn't hear back. And I was like, Oh man, not again. Hmm. And like they didn't respond to the email, but the next morning I woke up at five thirty to go to class and Josh had emailed me, sent me a personal email saying something like, Hey mate, we'd love to have you on the show tonight or tomorrow between such and such a time and five 30 in the morning. I'd typically I'd still be half asleep, just kind of sleepwalking to go and get ready for the day. But I, all the adrenaline just went straight through my body and I, I've never responded faster to an email in my life. Um, said, I said to Josh said, yeah, man, that'd be, that'd be absolutely amazing. Sent over all like the contact info and everything. And then I was on the show the next the next day, I think it was. And that was episode 307, 3D Dill Down Under. And I was ecstatic just at the opportunity to be on the show. Because I was when I started listening to it, it's it's never something that you think of that you're gonna be a part of. You always think I'm just gonna I'm this is something I'm gonna consume, and that's more or less gonna be the end of it. You never think you're actually gonna be on the show, which was super surreal in itself. 
And another thing I wasn't expecting was for Josh to bring up the internship in the middle of the podcast. I figured, you know what, this is probably something that they're really going to need to sit down and think about and like spend a lot of time at because bringing someone halfway around the world into your business for a four month period is a huge commitment from both sides. And I, I didn't think it was going to be such a spur of the moment thing, but Josh was asking like, Oh, what's involved with this internship thing? Like, give us an idea of why you have to do it. Like why, why do they want you to get work experience and say, well, kind of to see what the real world is like. And so I, I kind of pitched it to them. I tried to, I tried to pitch it in an appealing way so that they could, <laughs> they would want to bring me on. And I, I just tried to be as casual about it as I could, but inside during that episode, during that whole recording, I'm absolutely freaking out. Like my heart was probably going 180 beats per minute. My palms were sweating. I like probably the hair on the back of my neck was standing on end. Like my legs were probably shaking with nervousness and and the jitters. And, and then like we, we recorded the podcast and didn't hear much from it until the next day or later that day when the podcast came out and listened back to it. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's super cool. And basically from then on, like I was, I was still doing these squeegees and like the long and the short of it is that they, they, they basically agreed to have me come to Australia for four months and show me the ropes of their media production business, show me the ropes on podcasting. And like they've ended up showing me a lot more than what I ever anticipated I would learn. They said like, if, if you can get your visa and if you can get like passport situated and everything and flights, like we, we'd be glad to have you and we'll support you in whatever way you need to. Like if, if you're, if you're tight on money and you need to eat, like we'll help you out with food. Or if you're, you're tight on money and you need a place to, to stay, then like, we'll, we'll figure that out for you. And like Josh, Josh had me at his apartment for the first week I was here. And he, Josh spent so much time taking me around Australia or like around Melbourne, showing me all these places like, all right, this is this street, this is that street. And this is that street. And you walk from here to there. And then that's basically how you get to the office kind of a thing. He just, he took so much time showing me, like what his life was like. So that, that in itself was amazing. And basically, yeah, like they, they said, yeah, we'll, we'll have you down. We'll have you as a part of the business and a part of the podcast for the four months. So I, I bought tickets, got my visa, got my passport redone because my passport was going to expire when I was here and I couldn't travel if, uh, my passport was expiring within a certain amount of months. So I had to go through, get the passport sorted out before I could get my visa sorted out before I could buy my plane tickets. So it was this whole, everything had to rely on everything else. And the passport was, the passport almost took forever. And then yeah. the visa felt like it was taking forever. It had a processing time of 22 or 24 to 42 days. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Jeez, that's long, eh? 
but lucky enough, it, it came in like 10 days. It got approved in 10 okay. days, which was phenomenal. I was super happy about that. Um, and like all the timing of everything worked out remarkably well for the amount of logistics that were involved, like having to get the yeah. passport, having to wait up to six weeks for that to come in before I can apply for um, the visa. And then the potential of having to wait another month and a half for the visa to arrive was really stressful. I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to make it there till maybe the middle of June. Yeah. But, but every, every, like all the stars aligned and everything worked out remarkably well because I made it to Australia in the first, the first week in May. Like the first real hiccup we had or that I had was at Vancouver International Airport when we're going to take off and then two big bangs come from the engine. And the emergency, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, the emergency screeched on and the the plane like jolted to a halt. And I'm sitting there in my in the seat next to this uh, a man and a woman and their six week old baby. And I'm like, oh, we're not we're not leaving Vancouver tonight, are we? And they looked at me and they're like, I don't think so. I sure it. Yeah, it was. And then, but that got like that got sorted out in time. And the ne- the next day, I land I landed in Melbourne, and it was a mm. phenomenal, amazing. So um, it's just like I mean, in terms of timing and the break between your studies and all that kind of stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. how did it? Um, I mean, clearly it worked out well. It did work out well. So I finished school on April. Uh, I think it was April seventeenth. E- Let me think now. I'm trying to think. Yeah, no, April fifteenth. I finished school April 15th and I left, I had booked my flights for May 1st. So it kind of gave me two weeks off between finishing my third year of school and coming to Australia. So I had time to pack. I had time to see friends and family and say goodbye, which I mean, two weeks was the perfect amount of time. That was, it's not like I needed any more time really, but uh, it, it was a pretty quick transition going from school life to briefly living at home and then on a plane halfway around the world to somewhere I've never been before. Exciting stuff. Eh? Mm, was it ever? So what's it like being away from home for four months? It's, it's interesting because when I, when I first embarked on this journey, I thought it was going to be quite difficult. Like I thought that within the first month that I would feel really homesick. But I haven't, I've, to be quite honest, I haven't felt homesick at all. I miss home and I miss my family. I miss my friends. But it, it hasn't felt as bad as I thought it would. And I think that's because I have a huge support system here, like between Tommy's family and Josh's family and Mason's family. And even, even people that have listened to the show people that I've met at the airport, they've all been super accommodating and have basically felt like an extension of my biological family, like my parents and my sisters. All these people that I've met here have felt like they're, they're just a part of my family. And I, that, I think that's, that's, made, that's made being away from home a lot easier to deal with. Because I, I had never left, I left home for school, but I'd be gone for three to four weeks at a time. And then I would come home for a weekend. So I could always count on seeing my parents and my sisters at least once a month. 
And, but that was spending time when I was away from home, I was always spending time with people that I knew people that I had long-term relationships with beforehand, like all my friends at school, I've known them for at least three years. So it being around them when I was at home was just like another part of my extension of a family. And then coming here where I knew basically no one. I remember the first night that I stayed alone in, in one of the hostels nearby. It was, I had my suitcase and my backpack with me and I had set all of my, um, all my clothes out on the bed. And it, it took me a moment to realize that like I'm, I'm halfway around the world and all the possessions that I own are currently sitting on this little twin mattress. And it, it was a very surreal moment because I was like, this is all I have. But it's, it's, it's been all that I need, really. But it was, yeah. uh, it was tough to deal with, especially like coming from, coming from living in a house all the time, basically, right? And having mm-hmm. even just childhood... Uh, childhood toys around me or whatnot it it always felt like oh yeah this this is my house this is my space and then coming here where it didn't necessarily feel like that at first was a bit tricky and there there was a moment the first night that i stayed alone i was like oh this 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 might be a tough four months but it was it was basically all uphill from there that was that was probably the most that i've missed home was in the first couple days i was here I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited to go back though, because I have all these stories and all these experiences I want to share. That's, that's what I'm excited about is being able to tell all these stories that I've been involved with and like telling, telling all my friends and family, like about all these places and the animals and just sh- trying, trying to share everything basically. I mean, it sounds like a, an amazing experience. I must admit, uh, I can imagine um, being, away from home for four months mm-hmm. uh, must be daunting in the beginning, but uh, it sounds like it's worked out. It really was. Whoa. That was What's happening in the back there? We got a, we got a train right behind the studio and they honk, <laughs> they honk most times, but there's always, there's always the random occasion where they lay on the horn for a solid 10 seconds. Oh, right. So it gives, gives and a I mean, how does, heart attack. That, okay. And how does that affect the podcast when they're recording? Uh, typically, actually, I think most of the times we've been recording, the trains mm-hmm. have never gone by. If the train goes, oh, by, wow. if the train goes by, you can't really hear it because when we okay. have all the windows closed, it's, yeah, sure. you almost can't hear it. But when they, when they lay on the horn, it's not ideal. That's for sure. Oh, that's cool. So I'm um, just going back to, um, your internship mm-hmm. to, uh, you said you were talking about the number of hours that you need to put in towards yeah. your internship. Yeah, I mean, are there? Uh, and I mean, what specifically do you have to do um, during that internship for um, to for it to qualify as time towards your internship? Right. So basically, how it works is they need a minimum of four hundred and twenty hours work. Okay. Um, between whatever, because when I first got in contact with Tommy and Josh to sort out the internship stuff, it was between uh, it was like. I think it was 8.30 and 5 are the standard working hours as laid out by big media company. And yeah. I think that adds up to 37 and a half hours in a working week, which would allocate roughly 
12 or 13 weeks to satisfy those or that 420 hours. But even yeah. before, even hours aside, the work that I was going to be doing had to satisfy the school's requirements for the internship. Right. So Tommy actually had to write up a document outlining um, work that I would be doing and the potential for expanded work that I would be doing for the company, for like big media company and the podcast while I was here. And a lot of that yeah. was, was centered around graphic design and brand identity. So okay. that's, that's kind of what sold the school on the idea. Basically, that's kind of what let them approve it was saying, okay, he's not just going to Australia to have fun and talk on a podcast for four months. He will be doing work while he's yeah. there, which has been a lot of the logos, the brand identity. Um, and I've even started learning, like learning the video editing software, which was something I never felt comfortable in before. But that was all, that was all stuff that had been outlined in the initial uh, internship brief, I guess you could call it, that, yeah. that I had to submit that I had needed Tommy and Josh to fill out as the employers and then basically give to the, give to the school administrators and say, all right, this, this is kind of what I got. So at that point it's up to them whether they approve it or not. And then and there were no, there were no, there were no hassles with that. No problems. No, they said, Oh, that sounds amazing. Like there was, <laughs> there was the whole thing with being a Canadian citizen. And since the school is a Canadian institution, if, if I had worked in Canada, there would have like, there would be healthcare coverage and workplace insurance and whatnot. So the only, yeah, the only hesitation the school had was me going to basically a foreign, a foreign country where I don't necessarily have reciprocal rights. So yeah, thus health insurance, like workplace insurance, I wasn't covered. So <laughs> they, they could have denied that, the internship, but they didn't. Yeah. And at so, the point, they didn't realize that you were going to try and uh, cut your thumb off while, while yeah, making coffee. Yeah, that didn't cross their minds. <laughs> I just hope none of them watched that episode. Cause, <laughs> yeah, it, it was, they're like, oh, my God, Dylan cut his thumb open and he's in an yeah. internship. So it is what it is. <laughs> it worked yeah. out well in the end. <clears throat> So in terms of your involvement with the podcast, I mean, when they're recording an episode and all that kind of stuff, uh, yeah. you and uh, Mason are, are involved there. I mean, what are you specifically doing? So You're holding the camera. No, I, I wish I was holding <laughs> Arms would probably get real tired, though, if I was holding a camera. That thing weighs like weighs a ton. But yeah. um, mo most of the time, like I've, I've got the couch mic set up most times, and I'm going through listening to the conversation and – kind of just writing notes so that we can compile them in a show notes format sure. afterwards. So I'll be doing that as Mason is doing it at the same time. And then we can kind of take both of our lists, compile them together, say, okay, we got, we both got these points, but you picked up something that I didn't pick up and vice versa. So it's a great way for us to kind of cross reference our ideas and our, basically what our brains are interpreting during that time. Um, and also ideas if we want to put out snippets or extra like short form videos, Mason might find something as he's listening to them that he really likes and thinks, oh, that'll be a good snippet. So he'll jot that down and I'll do the same thing. I was like, oh, that's, that's a good funny bit that maybe if we don't post today, we can use in the future. So I'll write that down, yeah. keep a note of that just so we can try and build up a database. 
but for the most right. part, that's that's the extent of my involvement. And then I'll be asked to I'll obviously be asked to talk every now and then. Like today, today I kind of got put through the ringer for my uh, whole. Oh uh, yeah, adventure. your spinning habits. <laughs> yeah, got a bit of a call in on that. So, but yeah, that's more or less that's the extent of it. And then obviously in Mason, Mason does ninety nine percent of the producing because he's an absolute wizard on the on on the computer. Um, right. I'll, I'll try and cut up some some of the short form snippets for like for social media <clears throat> and stuff. But I've been starting starting to work on some of the TDTS bits that we do, um, which, which have been a great challenge for me creatively to try and tell a story in a short form format, like in a tell a story in under two minutes, basically. But it also yeah. is a challenge of learning the video editing software, which like I've had experience with Photoshop and I can use Illustrator, like Adobe Illustrator, like the back of my hand. But Adobe Premiere Pro was something that I had opened once, saw all these weird gray boxes and numbers and lines and colors and got immediately intimidated and kind of closed it off and shut the program and didn't open it. So it's, yeah. it's been a great way to challenge myself creatively as well as technically. It's like, I, I've got to do this edit for them. So I'm basically forces me to learn the software as I go. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously you've got more than you bargained for in terms of your internship, yeah, absolutely. being involved with the um, the big media company. Um, <clears throat> so, I mean, what are you going to take back to Canada with you? I mean, obviously you've done your your part for your internship, and uh, like you say, you've learned some new skills. I mean, what is your? Have you given some thought to what your involvement is going to be when you get back to Canada with the uh, the Daily Talk Show? Well, I. We're, we're sorting out a way for me to do remote producing for our weekend banter episodes. Because okay. that's something that the way that our schedules align and with time difference, and actually by the time we record them, the time for producing comes at what would most often be a downtime for me. It's like a Friday evening or an early Saturday morning. So yeah, realistically, I've got nothing to do during those times. It's just I could find time to waste. Like I could yes. end up watching YouTube videos or sleeping in. Um, I, I would, I, th I would like to do start on the, the producing for the weekend banter episodes. Um, and as long as our schedules align, uh, hopefully to be able to talk on the podcast a few times a week, I, I say optimistically every single episode, but there will undoubtedly be situations or challenges where, I'm physically unable to, whether that's for a school schedule or because Tommy and Josh Mason have to record late or record super early one day. But I, I want to make it as feasible as possible. I want to make try and try and be involved as much as I can, and being able to support them while also taking my care taking care of myself and my school situation. Because yeah. I, I do have to finish and I do have to pass. That's the important part. But I don't, <laughs> I don't want, yeah. I don't want school to just consume my life like it has in the past. So yes, it's like being a part of the podcast is a nice creative outlet as well as an entertaining outlet now. Yeah, 
So your next uh, um, study um, segment is your thesis, you said. Yeah, exactly. And what do you have to do for your thesis? Oh, the thesis. If you give me two and a half seconds, I'll, uh-huh. I'll pull up something of epic proportions. Okay. And, uh, the, the thesis is, is basically, it's some people call it a capstone project. I've heard it referred to yes. as a capstone project before. Um, but basically in the final year of study, we have to uh, basically find these, find a problem definition of something that we notice. And a lot of people have used their internships to inform their problem definitions. And that problem okay. definition ends up becoming your thesis topic. And right. the way the school treats their the industrial design thesis is they treat it like an examination. Um, and there's particular points that need to be satisfied. Um, so it needs to be full body human interaction design, full bodied ergonomics and human factors. It needs to be a sustainable design. There's form development, CAD development, model making and report writing involved. So it's, there's a great deal of stuff basically to put it simply. So to come up with our problem definition, we need at least 10 proposals that are around a page long, kind of like an elevator pitch for the problem. So I need to identify what the problem is, why is it important from a macro level to a micro level? Like why is solving this problem important? Why is it worth doing an eight month thesis on it? And how does it meet the thesis criteria? Because ultimately that's how we're gonna get graded. So we start with a problem, then we do research, which, allows us to understand the problem we're trying to tackle. And from there, you've got the synthesis, which eventually works towards your problem solution. And the problem solution is where your design and your evaluation skills come in. So as an example, um, two years ago, one of the thesis problem definitions was how can we improve the workflow in an industrial sewing environment where say in these, these large factories where there's maybe three or 400 employees sewing garments together, there's, there's a lot of issues in terms of ergonomic aspects that people don't really think of or don't notice until maybe they've been working that job for 10, 15 years and they've got arthritis or carpal tunnel in their hands or their back might be all skewed because of the way that they're sitting. So a way to solve this thesis problem is enhancing of the human lifestyle. Um, There's the full body interaction design with, you've got your major touch points. You've got a desk surface for your hands. You've got an ergonomic seat position. And even in terms of the dials, if you have to crane your neck up or down to look at this information that's being presented to you, it's a lot that puts strain on your neck, right? Whereas if you can design it so that you can alter it depending on your height, if you're short or tall, using sustainable materials and considering those ergonomic and human factors allows you to create a successful thesis solution, basically. And it's, it is tough because they really challenge you to have a unique design, something that's revolutionary 
which is a new approach at solving a problem versus evolutionary, which is kind of a, a redesign. That's something they really stress is be revolutionary as opposed to evolutionary. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of a snapshot of it. Um, but these, these projects go for eight months and in the end, most kids end up with a 200 odd page report at the end of it. You have to do a full 3d printed model All right. to basically uh, like a scale model to replicate and put your design in, in three dimensions. So that when at the end of the year, when they do the thesis show, people can see what your design is physically like they can look around it they can look inside of it as opposed to just using digital renders yeah sure so there's there's a lot of work involved with it there's on i think on tuesdays i have an eight hour class just devoted to thesis each week and that's all in class time and outside of class time they they typically say you should budget for at least 20 to 25 hours of additional work and that's research, design sketching, um, working on digital models for it, writing the actual research report. So needless to say, it's going to be a full eight months coming up. Yeah, I was going to ask if it's uh, it sounds pretty full time that. Yeah, so basically from September 3rd until April 19th of next year, yeah. I'll be focusing on whatever whatever my thesis topic ends up being. But uh that'll more or less consume what I end up doing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, have you, have you, have you got a couple of ideas on what you're going to do? I do have a couple ideas actually. Um, just mm. stuff like even a lot of it has been informed by experience that experiences that I've had here in Australia, Okay. Uh, which, which I was hoping when I was coming here for the very first time, I was hoping that I would be able to, find problems or challenges or difficulties in my experience that wouldn't, that could inform um, basically inform potential thesis problems. So one of them, for example, even though I haven't been to the outback yet, that's on the bucket list for the next time that I come back. Uh, okay. one, one, as an example, one of my problems is extreme Australian outback travel, which looks to solve the problem or the, the premise for the research for it was, there's been a rise in deaths related to outback travel and the risks that death could arise in the coming years due to climate change resulting in heat exhaustion, dehydration, sunstroke, and organ failure, all as a result of being exposed to these really extreme elements. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's an important problem because traveling through the outback is a popular tourist destination and a civilian attraction. However, the current modes of transportation that we have, such as an RV or a truck, are, can be expensive, harmful to the environment, prone to malfunction in extreme situations and extreme climates, such as high heat or extreme cold or even extreme weather. And the, like, the problem that I'm trying to solve is how can we do this in a safe and sustainable way that doesn't have a negative impact on the environment and helps promote safe travel to these remote and like hostile environments, basically. So whether that's taking the outback as an extreme heat example, you could say want to travel across northern Siberia, which is extremely cold.
cold and you've got heaps of snow and frigid temperatures. How can you do that in a safe, in, in a safe, environmentally conscious and sustainable way that allows you to have that experience and have that incredible feeling of like being completely out in nature? But in the event that there is an emergency or a situation where you need medical help or you're lost or you're stranded and you can't find your way back, how does that happen? So that's, that, that's one of them, which is obviously one of the ones that I'm leaning more towards because I've obviously put a lot more thought into it than some other ones. But um, yeah. I like as, as a different example, one of, the, one of the ideas I have is how can we reduce physical stress or repetitive stress injuries in the filmmaking industry? Because that's one thing that I've seen going to all these film shoots with Tommy and Josh is yes. these cameras weigh 20, sometimes maybe 30 pounds once there's a whole whack ton of gear on them. And when you're trying to look down through a camera lens or look down at a monitor, that's putting a strain on your neck holding the cameras, putting a strain on your shoulder blades and on your lumbar section. So obviously if we're making these heavy cameras, there's gotta be an ergonomic way of dealing with this. And we have an easy rig that we use with big media company, which is kind of a big backpack and the camera kind of hangs off the front, but it's big, it's heavy and it's a, it can be a bit clunky. So there's always opportunities to, enhance that allowing the filmmaker to operate with more efficiency on and that's that like that's on a micro level of them being able to move around quicker and get better shots is a is on a micro level but if you expand that to the macro level the efficiency of the project the efficiency of the film shoot just expands from there like everyone's be able to be a lot more productive and if they're less likely to injure themselves and have, have lower strain, it can improve their quality of life as well as like if they don't get injured, they don't have to use workers' compensation or make an, make an insurance claim because they've messed their back up after filming for three days straight with this heavy camera. You know, yeah. they don't, they don't go to bed yeah. sore at night because they have an ergonomic solution to their problem. So that's that's kind of well, a snapshot of it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a small snapshot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but look, I mean, at the eighth month uh, thesis is, I mean, it sounds like there's a lot of work, a lot of thought that goes into that. So good luck yeah. with that. Yeah. Thank you. It's uh, yeah. I'm going to document it all, so it'll be all over that's Instagram. Good. Hopefully, make a couple of YouTube couple of YouTube videos about it. I think. Yeah, That's use some of your skills that you've uh, picked up with uh, video ed uh, film editing. Yeah? Exactly. It'll, it'll be a good way to document the process too, right? Other yeah. Than, other than the research report that's all written, that's kind of boring. No one wants to read a 200-page research document. But watching yes. a 20-minute video breaking down the process from beginning to start, that could be interesting. Yeah, true. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And talking about documenting stuff, uh, mm -hmm. we can't not talk about your book that you've written, exactly. self-published. Yeah, exactly. So give us give us the, uh, the the long and the short of the book. Uh, All right. What made you decide to do it? What's it about? Oh, wow. Tough question. Like I've I've always enjoyed writing. 
just as a creative outlet. It was kind of like drawing for me. It was just, it was just another creative outlet that allowed my mind to kind of wander. I didn't really have to care about it. It's like as a kid, I had probably, if you go back to my house, there's notebooks full of stories that are two pages long and most of them have no ending because that's how I like to write. I like to start, start with an idea. And then when I got bored of it, I would stop and I would just do something else. Um, but then like when I got to college, I kind of stopped writing because there was this whole busy challenge of having to deal with personal life and having to deal with school. And I didn't really write much until this summer, basically, or this, oh, I guess it's Australian winter, winter in the Southern <laughs> summer for yes. me back home. During this, during this time frame, I'll say that that's a bit more, it's a bit more neutral during this time frame. And I had, I had wanted to get into blogging just because it was a kind of a nice short form way for me to practice writing as something that was not necessarily too serious. And if no one read it, I don't really care. Like I, I just liked to do it. The act of doing it like every day or every other day was, was kind of nice. And I could, I could talk about, or I could write about whatever I wanted really. So I'd started that around Christmas time, around the time that I started listening to the daily talk show. But then that kind of fell off the tracks once school got busy and I didn't really touch it again until a couple weeks later. And even then it was always just really short, just maybe write a 500 word article and post it on my personal website and just kind of leave it at that. But as once I had landed in Australia, I had this kind of euphoric moment. The first morning that I woke up, I was, I realized like I'm, I'm halfway around the world from everything that I've ever known before. And like, there's, there's gotta be something to that because it was such a bizarre way of coming to the solution. And I was thinking about everything that put me where I am today. I thought there's, there's gotta be some kind of a story involved there. So I went to Office Works, which is like our office business stationery store. Do you, do, do you guys have Office Works where you are? No, no, no. no. So no. it's, I mean, it's got like your printers and your laptops and computers and all that stuff. So I, I got, I got a couple, I got a yellow paper notepad and a couple pens. And I just started writing down like all these key events that had happened in my life, say in the last four years. And then started to draw connection points. Like, okay, this relates to that. This put me in this position because of something that had happened maybe four months previous to that. And after a couple of days of writing all these things down and thinking about it and connecting all the dots, I had basically created like a, a mind map of the last three years of my life. And it, that was interesting in itself to look at because these things that had maybe happened f four years ago, some in a very small way had put me in the spot that I am today. So I was like, oh, I'll, at first it was just something that I wanted to write down just to have a record of kind of put it in more of a long form format, explain things a bit more and not, not go into too much depth or detail about it, but kind of tell a narrative of how I got to Australia. And I, 
when I started it, I was like, okay, this will this will kind of just be for me. I can look back on in however many years when I'm bored in an afternoon one day. And I think in the first day, once I sat down to write it, or actually start writing it, I the first day I must have put down like three thousand words because it just kept it just kept coming. Oh wow! The, the flow and the process was just continuous. It was like someone had turned the tap on and had turned it on full and then just left it. And all <laughs> this all this writing and all these words just came right out. And it like the whole the whole thing started because like I went had personal challenges and a rough time in my life that I didn't necessarily know how to deal with. Like it was, it was this whole post breakup thing. And okay, like I, I, I thought I had all this great stuff in my life. Like I thought I had all this talent for school. I thought I had a great relationship and a really supportive base of people around me. And I was like, Oh yes, life is going amazing. It's, it's been high sailing since as long as I can remember. And then all of a sudden, it was just like everything just dropped. And I, that was pro- probably the most rock bottom moment of my life. But oh, wow. Shame, man. E- even that event led to where I am today, because if I hadn't gone down that path, I wouldn't have happened upon the documentary minimalism. And that, yes. that, was, kind of, that was kind of like a, a light switch went off in my head. Cause I, I, I had been in, at this point of, I wouldn't necessarily classify it as, as depression, but there was a lot of anxiety and just mental health issues of not feeling confident in who I was. I was like, I, I used to, I used to know who I was, but now that's changed and I, I can't figure out who I am or why I want to feel this way or even why I'm feeling this way in general. And the the whole minimalism thing i don't know what i can't even put a finger on what it was about it but something just switched in my head and it slowly all started to make sense and then like that event put me on to matt diavella and eventually matt diavella put me on to tommy and josh and then that eventually led to me me to where i am today and it was it's all just an absolute freak circumstance because like, as I write about in the book, it was, it was a, the middle of winter in 2018. It was like early January, 2018. And I was sitting in my room. We had, it was a big snowstorm. So the school was closed. The power had gone out. So it was only emergency generators that had kicked in. So certain outlets weren't working in the room. I only had one light on and I was like, this, this sucks. This is so, so boring. And I'll put something on Netflix. I'll try to get some schoolwork done. Because this, this is when a point where schoolwork felt like a, felt like a chore. I was like, oh, this is something I have to do. And I wasn't enjoying it. And it like again, it relates back to all that anxiety and the pressure and the mental health issues of feeling like I had to impress all these people, feeling like I had to make my parents proud with what I was doing, felt like I had to get good marks because that's what I was told I had to do. And I watched this minimalism movie and they're like, yeah, you, if you have a lot of shit in your life, it's, you don't have to hold on to it. If you have all this like emotional baggage or physical baggage, you have the right to let go of that. And 
no one, no one ever told me that before. It was always like, well, if someone gives you something, you got to hold on to it because if you get rid of it, it's going to make someone else, it's going to make someone else upset. And that, that kind of stuff, like as a kid, I was the biggest pack rat in the, in the world. I would keep birthday cards and gift cards and I, I would keep gift cards that I had say like $25 gift card to Walmart. If I used yeah. that $25, I would keep the gift card even okay. after, <laughs> even after I had already bought something with it. And I couldn't understand why it's just, I always did. And like watching the minimalism thing would just changed something mentally for me. And from there it was, it was a slow build back up this path like I I had felt like I had had it all felt like I was on top of the world and then through a variety of circumstances which I talk about in the book like I was I was hooked on um like obviously there was the alcohol involved and not that I was ever a heavy drinker I mean I was in college so I was I was doing what everybody else was doing but then mixing alcohol with like sleeping medication so that I could fall asleep oh. quicker because yeah. there's the whole like anxiety thing of, Oh, I have, I have to make all these people happier. Like with the breakup, it, it was, it was, it was just so much emotional stress to deal with. And to be honest, the only way that I found that I could deal with it was if I had a drink and like uh, sleeping pills or a bottle of NyQuil, which is basically just a, a cough syrup that knocks people out. If I, if I can oh, have wow. that, if I can have that, then I can fall asleep in five minutes and I don't have to think. Okay. And I, yeah. And I, yeah. And I don't have to worry about it. Right. And that just, I mean, it's, there's never a good result when you go spiraling down that path. And eventually I realized like, you know what, this, this isn't going anywhere and this isn't making me a better person. So, and that like that, that's when the whole minimalism thing comes in and started listening to them. And I was like, this, this is something that for the first time in a long time, this idea of being able to let go of stuff that doesn't add value to my life seriously resonated with me. And it was the first, like the first time in a very long time that I felt this is something that I can connect with. So I like, I went down a rabbit hole on that. I watched as many YouTube videos as I could listen to as many podcasts as I could watched as many documentaries and movies on it as I could. And then maybe six months later, I started to really get into Matt Diavella's stuff. Cause he was talking about all this personal development stuff, like habit change, how to build positive habits, how to like even simple stuff. Like, he had an episode where he talked with a, a bloke about men's mental health and how no one really talks about it. Or it's always seen, seen as men don't have mental health issues because men are always supposed to be seen as these strong, burly characters that don't get emotional. I was like, I'm an emotional guy. Yeah. If, if I'm watching a movie and a dog dies, I'm going to bawl my eyes out. Like I'm, I'm going to cry guaranteed. And I, I just, I learned so much just from listening to all these different people talk through like through podcasts and through YouTube videos. And that basically put me onto this path of like, I, I actually started to understand who I was as a person and allowed me to 
dig myself out of that hole. And that's kind of what the book bit became about was, yeah, there, I went through this shitty year and a half in my life and it was the lowest that I've ever felt. It may not be the lowest that other people have felt like what's hard for me is hard for me. And what's hard for you is hard for you. Yes. My shitty situation can't be compared to your shitty situation, not because it's worse or because it's better. It's because it's, it's different for both of us. Right. And like the book ended up becoming about that was a low point in my life. And this is how I dug myself out of that hole. Like my learnings and my experiences through that. And what works, what worked for me may not work for everybody else, but like there were ups and downs, there was backtracking, but I think that's, that's inevitable in most aspects of life. And like the, I I just tried to capture as much of what had gone on in my head in the last three years in that book and everything that I learned, because if like, if someone's feeling stuck or going through something similar like that, and if, if they happen to read the book, then, and it helps them, then that, that, that's all I can ever ask for really. And I kind of wanted to share the experience that I had, not for sympathy, but in the hopes that it, that it does help somebody somewhere along the line. So well, that's cool. That's, so yeah, that's, what's the, what's the, the name of the book is? So the name, the name of the book is called, I'm still figuring it out, which yeah. I am like, I don't have all the answers. I'm not a perfect human being. I think, I think like nobody's perfect and everybody in a sense and in a way is still figuring their life out. Like no one has a, no one has the perfect answer for everything. And that's the whole still figuring it out mantra was something that I've, I felt like I've lived through in these last couple of years, like coming to Australia, I, I had nowhere to go when I was in the airport. I'm like, well, I'll figure this out somehow. Or when I got lost in the Otways, I was like, well, I'm in, I'm in this situation now. <laughs> so I better, I better figure out how I can get out of that situation. And like, even when I was, when I was using the sleeping pills all the time, I came to this realization of like, this isn't healthy what I'm doing to my body and it's not healthy for me mentally. How, what can I do to get out of that situation? So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. That's the name of the book. And that's cool. I think think a good mantra for life in general. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's available on Amazon, right? Yeah, it's available on Amazon. So if you go to, it's available on like 16, 16 Amazon stores. And okay. If you type in, I'm still figuring it out, it should prop up. Or if you yeah, type in cool. um, Dylan Torville, D-Y-L-A-N-T-O-R-R-A-V-I-L-L-E, I'm yeah. sure it'll I'm sure it'll show up there. Yeah. So then you need to do the audiobook as well, eh? I do, and I'm hoping to do that before <laughs> I leave because it's available in in print and as an ebook right now on Kindle. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like one thing that's really pushing me to do an audiobook version is because when when my grandpa was still alive, he passed away a couple of years ago. He had ALS. And okay. in, in the last six months of his life, like his his hands were so weak that he couldn't physically hold up a book to read it. And this guy could read for ten hours a day, every single day, all right. week. 
365 days a year. Absolutely loved reading, but the like the basically the way ALS works is it's a it's a it's a amyotrophic lateral lateral sclerosis is the yeah. medical definition of it, and basically melts your body like a candle. Like you you start to lose feeling in your nerves. For most people, it starts in their feet or in their fingers. It's oh, terrible. And eventually, works its way up the body until most people end up passing from it due to pneumonia and sickness and their lungs aren't able to handle that or it's it's the physical lungs there's not enough nerves or and not enough energy to actually breathe and yeah it's it's awful but in the last in the last six months of his life we got him um like we we played audiobooks for him and it was a way for him to hear it hear the story and all he had to do was was have headphones on, so it was super. Yeah. It was it was easy for him. Have, having the audiobook format made it easy for him to enjoy something that he had enjoyed for the last seventy odd years of his life. So, that's one thing that's pushing me to do that is to make that story accessible. To yeah, that's great. to 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 just a whole other range of people. Yeah, because I must admit, I I. For some reason, I battle to read books. Um, I enjoy reading books, but I just uh, it just takes me forever to read a book. Yeah. And uh, probably about five years ago, I got into you know um, uh, sign up for a trial with Audible. Oh yeah. And uh, yeah, I've been I've been uh, listening to audiobooks ever since, and I'm probably doing at least one book a month oh, uh, in between listening to the pod podcast and all that. Yeah. The other day. I checked my stats on Audible. I think I've listened to almost like three months worth of uh, audiobooks Jeez, in the last what, five years. <laughs> that's, a, that's amazing, isn't uh, it? When you, when you yeah. take that number and you really put it in perspective, it's like, that's a lot of books. Yeah, it's a lot of books, yeah. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> but it's quite cool. Yeah, so I enjoy, I enjoy audiobooks. Yeah. So just putting it out there, <laughs> yeah, another I, incentive, another incentive to get the audiobook yeah. done. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I yeah. I don't even have an Audible account, but I I think I have to now just because Yeah, I think you must do. Uh, it's like it's it's not that it's hard to read books, but it's you have to sit down and you have to hold the book in yeah. front of you. And you have, to, you yeah. have to spend time. And it's it's a lot easier like if I can listen to a book as I'm walking to and from work or to and from school or if I'm just out on a walk in general, I can't read a book a physical book and be walking at the same time without walking into something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I can listen to it. That's yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I listen to audiobooks when I'm either in the gym, in the car, maybe if I'm working or, yeah. uh, you know, say 15 minutes before I go to bed at night. It's like part of my sort of like night routine is to, is to listen to something for 15 minutes before I go to sleep. I like that. Uh, I really like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the nice thing with Audible is that you can put the timer on. Oh. So if I do happen to fall asleep before the fifteen minutes, I know more or less around about where, where you know where I'm at, so mm -hmm. I don't lose my place. Yeah. Oh, so um, you can you can just set the timer; it'll play yeah. for that fifteen minutes. Yeah. If you fall asleep, you're yeah. not missing the next three chapters of it. No, no, no. Yeah, oh, so it funny. works like that. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. And that's uh, I mean, just in terms of, in terms of what you were talking about. Um, you know, the anxiety and mental health and having mm. to deal with stuff and all that. I mean, I've, you know, I've also had my 
you know, my, my, my challenges as well. And, yeah. um, yeah, it's taken me probably in the last year, I've, I've put in a lot of work to, to try and get that under control. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, discipline is one of them, you know, Absolutely. you know, structuring one's life. Uh, meditation has also helped. Um, mm. So I, I wanted to ask, have you ever, ever got into meditation? Because I know Tommy has been training about it. I know um, Mason's also got into meditation recently. Yeah, I is that something you've tried? It's uh, I not not officially. I I wouldn't say yeah. I did meditation officially. The way that I kind of went about my meditation, I you can call it meditation. I guess I didn't call it meditation at first. I just called it training was I yeah. made this set this challenge for myself that I wanted to ride 50 kilometers a day every day for 50 days on my road bike on my indoor trainer. And that it would like I would do it in the mornings or in the evenings and it would be an hour and a half to an hour and 40 minutes of just intense focus on the bike. And yeah. it it put me in the best physical shape I've ever been in in my life. Like cycling cycling basically 2,500 kilometers in 50 days while still, while still doing school, it was, again, it was the whole thing of discipline and it wasn't, it wasn't meditation in the sense that I'm sitting down and being quiet and focusing on certain aspects or trying to control my breathing. It was, it was being in the zone of putting, putting my body through physical pain for, (laughs) a stronger positive outcome. And I like, I didn't, I didn't think about it at the time. Right. I didn't go into this challenge. I set for myself thinking, Oh, this is going to be like a meditative experience. There were some times where it absolutely sucked and I would just sit on the bike and just rest my head on the handlebars thinking, why did I choose to do this? Yes. But that something about the discipline of, and the will of getting on the bike each day, strapping the shoes in, getting dressed up in the Lycra and just doing it and training and sweating buckets for sometimes up to two hours a day was ended up becoming the a form of meditation that I could really get behind. I was like, yeah, yeah sure. Sure. I, I felt it doing something for me. Like yeah. By, and I mean, look, day. I mean, exercise. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, exercise does also help with, um, you know, dealing with handling with the sort of like the um, cortisol and those kind of things that are, you know, released when you're feeling anxious. Absolutely. Exercise, yeah, gets, you know, that whole fight or flight kind of yeah situation. Yeah, like yeah. In, in the middle of doing the, the 50 kilometers a day for 50 days, it's like I've never, I feel, I feel amazing now, but I've never felt better. I hadn't felt great at that point. And doing yeah. that each day was like, oh, I, it feels amazing. Like it, it felt like I was in control of what I was doing and like showing up each day, getting on the bike, doing that was, was a phenomenal learning experience. Yeah. But I would recommend uh, trying meditation. Yeah. It's especially like being around Tommy and Mason. It's been, yeah. it's, been it's been on my mind. I'm like, Oh, it, it seems to be working for them and I can, yeah. I can definitely notice benefits of it. So I, I think when I go back um, to start my fourth year, I think I'm going to tr- start start doing meditation each day. So um, going back to the uh, daily talk show. Yeah. Uh, so every, everyone's got their nicknames, uh, 3D Dill and 
Mr. 97. Um, so when I first heard them talking about, about you on the, on the podcast, it sounded like they were saying three day deal. Yeah. Like, like you know, it's a three day deal. And I'm like, are they sponsored by a three day deal? Or? <laughs> yeah. It was, my, dad, <laughs> I, I, my dad said that cause he could, he couldn't understand their accent. It's like, a three, exactly. Yeah. Three day deal. What, like what's, what's yeah. going on? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so do those nicknames stick or, or, or they just basically for the podcast? Oh, it's stuck. All right. Like, Oh, is it my, stuck? Yeah. My, my prof back home in college, I had to do a Skype call with her to basically check in for my thesis project. So I was waiting on Skype and then I saw she was online and then she called me through and we, we connected over Skype and then she goes, hello, 3d Dill." I was like, Oh, oh <laughs> like it's, it's, it's spread now. And one thing that I've noticed about Australia is that everything gets a nickname. Oh, Head right. Headphones become headies. Biscuits. Okay. Biscuits become bickies. Okay. It seems strange to me at first, but Dylan became Dill and it's, it's kind of stuck with me now. And I, it's when I, when I go back home, I I have a feeling I'm going to be giving everybody nicknames, even, Uh, even people that I've known for such a long time. It's like, Oh, you're, you're getting a nickname now. I don't care who you are. You're getting a nickname. So, I mean, how did you find this sort of uh, going from Canada to, to Australia, the sort of like, I don't know, like the cultural difference? Mm. Is it noticeable for you? I, I knew it was going to be different, but I, I, I didn't think it was going to be different in a big way. And it, it hasn't been a drastic change. Obviously, driving on the other side of the road was something to get used to. Absolutely. But um. Like in in the grand scheme of things, Canada and Australia are relatively similar. Like we're both part of the Commonwealth. We're both English speaking countries. Um, yeah, like there hasn't been a crazy amount of difference that I've noticed. The coffee here is yeah. 10 times better than what it is back in Canada. It's, really? It, there's a real appreciation for good coffee here. Now, don't get me wrong. Okay. There, is, there is There are a handful of good coffees coffee brands in Canada but yeah when when your average coffee order here is you're going to a cafe you're getting whatever you want and it costs you four bucks five bucks maybe comparing that to Canada where we would go to McDonald's or a Starbucks or we have this thing called a Tim Hortons yeah I know Tim Hortons yeah and uh you get the coffee from there it's it tastes like like I don't even know. I don't even. I can't even think of anything that's remotely accurate to describe the taste of once. Once, like once you've had real, really good coffee, and you, I can't go back to that. So it's it's going to be a tough transition going back home, having all this yeah. amazing coffee, and then going back home and like, oh well, what are what are we drinking today? It's, oh, it looks like it's Tim Hortons. That's 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 delicious. Um, yeah. That, that so I mean, have you got fun. like a? Have you got a like a Keurig at home or a K cup or machine? Yeah, I've got I've got a Keurig machine at home. My my dad got me on because he my dad's a big I'm a bigger coffee drinker than my dad now. But uh, yes, he got a Keurig a couple of years ago and haven't looked back since. But I think I might have to get like a Chemex or something and get some get some, invest in some really good coffee grounds. Uh, yeah, just yeah. So that I can get yourself an Aeropress or something. 
Yeah, exactly. Not a, not a glass yeah. one because the glass one didn't work out. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, co- the coffee has been a big difference. And just okay. the way of life here just seems to be a bit more relaxed, whether that's because yeah. we're so close to the ocean and a number of beaches. Maybe that has something to do with it. Whereas in Toronto, we're kind of landlocked. We've got provinces. Like in Toronto. Yeah, like we've got land all over the place, or any water that's close by is absolutely freezing cold. But yes, it's it's just a much more relaxed way of life. Okay, which which, which I can appreciate. So I mean, like for me, I mean, like Australia and South Africa are pretty pretty close in terms of, you know, same sort of, you know, like we're all all into rugby or football or yeah, you know, cricket and. Um, yeah, so it's so like listening to the daily talk show for me is like um, almost like listening to a South African podcast because yeah. the way that they talk and they think are very similar to how how um, South Africans think. I do right. I do notice when I listen to sort of like American or North American Canadian mm-hmm. kind of stuff that you know I mean you do know like I notice the difference the way that the people think, whereas. Yeah. Um, with Australia, it's, 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 and I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why I enjoy the show so much is because it's like, it's very comfortable, um, content to listen to. It, it really is. And like, that's another thing too, with, since Canada's so close to the U S a lot of our way of thinking is influenced by what we see in the media, which is a lot of it is all U S politics and U S this and that. Yes. So like Canada and the U S have become extremely politically correct to the point where yeah. if you say you can say almost anything and someone will have a problem with it. Yeah, and exactly. If they have the opportunity to, they'll blow it up in epic proportions and yeah. people are always super cautious about what they say. It's like, Oh no, you can't say that. That's not politically correct. And here it's like, Aussies will speak their mind regardless of the repercussions. Like if they don't agree with something, they'll tell you they don't agree with it. If yeah. like they'll say what they have to say, regardless of what everybody else thinks. And that's one thing that I think Canada and the U S can learn is to just like stop taking everything so seriously. Yeah. Like just because you say, just because you say something once doesn't mean you're a bad person forever, right? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to dial that back, eh? Because I, I it's know. like, I've, yeah, it's scary actually the way that it's gone. Um, mm-hmm. It really is. But I do, I do, I do feel that it's starting to that kind of stuff is starting to infiltrate um, South Africa as well. This yeah. political correctness, and it's, I think ours is 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 um, rooted in our. Uh, you know, our apartheid sort of era. So it's got a lot to do with race and and that kind of stuff, which Mm -hmm. is a very difficult one. Looking, obviously, you know, the way I see it is you just is accept people for who they are, you know, embrace the diversity and that kind of stuff and be respectful to people, to one another and all that kind of stuff. But the way that I've, I've heard and seen things are going in the, in, in, in North America, 
with mm. political correctness, yeah, and especially on, uh, on uh, like university campuses, yeah, where traditionally that was the place where people could voice their opinion and have have you know protest against that kind of stuff. Is that I mean, I've heard stories of lecturers being too scared to teach or lecture on what's um, in the curriculum, yeah, because they worried they're going to offend one student exactly. in the class. And I mean, that's, uh, I think that's a dangerous place to be going into. Uh, it, it, it really is. And like, yeah. I, I do think that absolutely we should accept people regardless of whether it's sexual preference or race or even what gender they identify as. Like I've got friends yeah. back home who like some of my friends are gender fluid. Some of them, I, like I, I know this girl through school and like, she's just not comfortable with her sexuality. Like she feels okay. She, she feels she identifies more as a male, but she hasn't, yeah. I guess, kind of fully realized it yet, but I, I have no problem with that. Like if yeah, exactly. Yeah. You do you in a way. Right. And that's absolutely fine. But when these big institutions start to, crack down and say oh no you can't talk about that because it offends this number of people or you can't talk about yeah. this it's like well what what can we talk about yeah i think it's i think it's going to stifle stifle uh conversation or dialogue on yeah i mean it's just you know and it's okay to disagree with one another mm-hmm. but um it's being able to have the conversation without there being too much emotion in it yeah it's is, like I'm, is, is. I've got friends who have political views that I don't agree with. <clears throat> yeah. I'm friends with them and I'm still willing to spend time around them. Like I don't, their political views don't define them for me. It's like, yeah, they, they could be left leaning and I could be right leaning. I'm okay with that. Like it, you, you do what you want to do kind of a thing. And yeah, that's absolutely. Fine. That's fine. But I mean, talking about uh, Australia and, you know, being able to say what's on, you know, say what they think and all that, uh, that's that's the one thing that I found quite interesting about the Daily Talk Show. Yeah. Is that, I mean, Tommy and, and Josh put themselves out there with, yeah. um, I mean, they talk quite openly about, you know, what, what they're thinking or how they feel about things and all that, which in a way is very, very refreshing because a lot of us are very careful about what we say, especially when it comes to stuff that we put out on the internet because it's basically it's there forever kind of thing. Yeah. And um, so have you found that, that they, on the the podcast that they'll just talk about and we can refer back to episode 14 as a... Yeah, like it's it's quite admirable because I grew growing up in Canada, I was always worried about what I would say in case anybody would call me out on it in the future. Right. Yeah. So like, and Josh is an amazing example of this because like with episode 14, for example, or even if, even if he says something that has the potential to have negative repercussions, admitting, having the maturity and the confidence to admit that, yeah, oh, I said this, but I messed up. I wasn't right to say it, or I don't, believe that way now is huge yeah yeah and that's something that i never really understood or felt confident doing 
because it felt like I was doubling back on myself or trying to save myself in a way. But yeah. Like having, having Josh as a role model for that was like, okay, it's totally doable. You just, you have to approach it with confidence and say, yeah, I, I did say that. Like and the acknowledging of it. Yeah. I said that I don't agree with it now, or my views on it have changed as I've learned more about the subject or even just as simple as, yeah, I was in the wrong to say that. I don't, I don't think there's anything more that you can ask for in a situation like that. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Learning, learning, learning to deal with things from that approach has been, um, has been another really positive takeaway that I've learned, even just, even just through the podcast, which is, which is a skill and a learning point that I never thought I would even need or never thought would be touched on. But it's, it's something that's valuable to have. The, just be, being, being able and being willing to admit that you messed up is something I think a lot of people can practice and a yeah. lot of people can implement into their lives instead of trying to defend yourself. It's like, well, yeah, you messed up. Just, just admit it. There's nothing wrong with admitting it. If anything, it works better for you if you can admit that you messed up, right? So I must admit, I mean, like for me, when I'm listening to the podcast, I actually realize that, okay, I'm normal because some mm -hmm. of the things that they're talking about are the, the kind of things that I, you know, I'd be going around in my head, but uh, wouldn't necessarily share with other people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I mean that's I, th I think that's one of the one of the, one of the um, greatest values of that of the podcast is uh, the fact that it's so candid. Yeah, and if like if someone messes up on the show, like basically today getting put through the ringer for spending two hundred odd dollars at a mini bar in a hotel in Sydney. Yes. So, yeah. I would, Three months ago, four months ago, I'd be a lot less inclined to admit that I messed up. I would try and find some way or some excuse to defend myself for that. But it's like, well, I did do that. And I, I did mess up in that instance. I did take advantage of the situation, which maybe wasn't the right thing to do. But I can openly admit that. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. I, I can acknowledge what went on, acknowledge what I did and what I said. So, and it makes for good content as well. Oh, does it ever? That video was hilarious. <laughs> I was dying laughing when Josh and or when we posted the video because I, yes. I had no, I had no idea they were planning to stitch me up like that. I was outside of the the Sydney Eye Tower, about to yeah. go in, and Josh said, "Oh, yes. can we FaceTime?" I said, "Yeah, sure." And it was, <laughs> Didn't expect to get love in the podcast. <laughs> love, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Well, listen, dude, we've uh, we like up for an hour and forty minutes so far. Oh wow! Yeah, time time flies when you're having fun, eh? I'd say so. It does. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, I mean, there's still lots to talk about, so maybe in the future we'll do another one. Maybe when you're back in Canada, we can touch base absolutely. again and. Just see how things are panning out. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. I'm on, I'm on, a, I'm on another podcast. Yeah. So how many have you been on so far? Um, well, I've been on the Daily Talk Show and your podcast, so two. Okay. But you were you on the radio, were you on the radio station yesterday or the day before? Oh, well, yeah. 
I, I went I went into the radio station, but station, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't able to get on air because Sydney had this okay. kind of crisis emergency. All right. Um, so it was it was actually really frantic. Everyone's like scrambling, trying to figure out what exactly is going on, and I'm right in the middle of it. Yes. But I was I was I was in the room, so I yeah. Mean, you, I'm, I'm sure if you listen closely, you could hear my breathing, maybe. But that's probably about it. That's good. So you must say how's it to um, to Mister Ninety Seven and Josh and Tommy. Oh, I will. And, Absolutely. And it's been great chatting. Thanks so much for taking the time. Oh, th- thank you so much for having me on. It's been amazing. Yeah, and well, I look forward to. Um, I am going to buy your ebook. Um, I won't. I won't wait. I won't wait for the audiobook, but <laughs> audio book will be coming soon, hopefully. Yeah, sure. And I hope it's going to be narrated by yourself, eh? You kn- you know it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, Josh will narrate his forward and then I've got the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll 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 wait to see that. Awesome. Thank you so much. Mm. Cool, and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you, you as well. Okay. And that was the end of the conversation. Quite a long one this time. I actually enjoy having these long ones. Uh, Nice and relaxed. No stress on time. So you might have noticed that I sounded a bit nasal in the podcast. And this is because I got up at at 3 o'clock to do the podcast at 4 o'clock. Just because of the time zone difference. But anyway, it worked out well. I had a great chat with Dil. He's a very interesting guy. Um, I hope you will go check out his book. I hope you guys will check out the daily talk show. It's an amazing show. Tommy and and, uh, Josh and the team, Mr. 97, Mason and 3D Dill, Dylan, do a great job. Uh, And all those details are going to be in the show notes. So the link to Dylan's book. Links to uh, some of the episodes of the Daily Talk Show will be there. Uh, So I hope you guys will check that out and increase the South African contingent of the Gronk Squad. And if you don't know what a Gronk is, uh, either listen to the podcast, not mine, the Daily Talk Show, or just Google it. You'll understand what a Gronk is. Anyway, guys, uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting the podcast, and I will catch you guys in two weeks' time. And that, my friend, is the end. Catch you next time.